my uh, sermon today, I was thinking of a story this past week, and um, so I was at home with uh, my uh, son Caleb, and so I started to ask him if he knew this story, and we had one of those weeks, I don't know some of you that have children, if you know about those weeks, well that was this past week for us. Evan, our two-year-old, um, was sick on Easter, and then he went to bed on Saturday night, woke up with a fever, and then um, on um, uh, Monday evening, Caleb, our three-year-old, uh, went to bed with a fever and woke up, and then Tuesday night, our son Evan, the eight-month-old, would, uh, was, had uncontrollable crying, and it turned out he had a really bad ear infection, we found out at the ER, middle of the night on Tuesday night, and we thought everything was fine, then Wednesday morning, I go downstairs with Caleb, and he throws up, just right there, so... It was one of those weeks, if you had one of those before, and so I was at uh, home with Caleb, and he was, uh, had a fever sitting in the chair, and I said, um, Caleb, have you ever heard the story of the three little pigs? And he had been kind of zoned out in the chair with the fever, and all of a sudden, he got the most serious look, and he got up out of his chair, and he walked towards me and said, yes, Daddy, I know that story. And I was like, well, yeah, well, what story have you heard, you know? And um, he said... The big bad wolf blew down all the houses. And I said, oh, really? I said, well, did he blow down all of them? No, not the third house. I said, well, why didn't he blow down the third house? Because they built that, he built that house out of bricks. And I was like, that's right. That's exactly what happened. I said, Caleb, you think someday you might want to build a house? And he said, yes, I'm going to build a house in Columbia, is what he told me. And I said, well, what are you going to build the house out of? And he said, bricks. That way that wolf can't get me, is what he told me. And I don't know where he heard the story, but it's just one of those things. We all know that story, don't we? We all just hear it. We all learn it somewhere. We can't point to the point, uh, to the exact place and time when we heard it. But it's just one of those stories, and it has that universal application. You hear it in other cultures, but we all know that story. It's just something very familiar uh, to each of us. And um, it's a great premise, you know, a couple of builders and different materials and how they withstand certain situations. Uh, in fact, you read about it in Scripture. There's a couple places in Scripture that refers to the same kind of idea. And um, the first principle that we learn from Scripture about this is that we all are house builders. Just like the three little piggies, all three of them built houses, you and I are also building our house. Uh, well, I know that some people would say this is not a great time to go into the house building industry here in our economy. But with regards to what Scripture is referring to when it comes to being a house builder, you don't have an option. There is no way around it. You can't escape it. You can't sidestep it. Every single one of us is building a house. And uh, Scripture uses the analogy in a few places. Um, and the idea is we all construct a house. And the building uh, of it takes place in every decision throughout the days of your life. And so that means when it comes to um, what you're going to do with your time how you're going to invest your time, how you're going to waste your time, what you're going to spend your time on. Every time you make a decision with regards to your time, you're putting another nail into the house. Or whenever you decide what to do with your money, the steward over the resources that you've been given, what you're going to spend it on. I'm not talking about evil things, but just how you'll spend it, how you'll uh, uh, waste it maybe, how you'll save it, what you'll give to, all of those things. Those are all different decisions that you're making that are going into framing another part of your house. What you do with your influence, what you do with the talents that God's given you, with the resources and the relationships that God's put in your way. How you deal with the thoughts that run through your mind, how you process them, what you let come out, what you hold on to, you know, um, all of those things, all of those decisions in every single day of our life, that's us building our house, which you've probably come to figure out is our life. 
It's our life. It's really, it really equals our character or our soul. And so what we can learn from this is that the quality of your choices is determining the quality of the house that you'll build or the quality of the life that you'll live. And we'll talk about it with regards to the Christian life, the Christian walk. Well, one of the first decisions that you make when it comes to building your house is um, choosing a foundation, right? Now, we've all heard this sermon before, and we all know where that leads to. But I just want to ask today, because, see, I'm afraid we neglect or we forget about the next part of this. Because that is the essential decision of what foundation are you going to build on. But the decision of what materials you're going to use to construct your house, those are important decisions as well, even in your Christian walk. So we're going to look in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And so if you make it to the New Testament and through the, through the Gospels and then Acts and Romans, and right after that, you'll find 1 Corinthians somewhere around there. And uh, chapter 3, and we'll read from verse 10 through 15. According to the grace of God, which was given to me like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation... And another is building on it, but each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Well, Paul is uh, recording these words in a letter he's writing. And um, Paul wrote more than 30% of the New Testament and wrote it in the form of letters. And in this one particularly, he's writing to a church, the church at Corinth. And he's trying to address some of the issues, the problems that were found in that church. And they had a lot of them, uh, you know, with regards to doctrine, but also with regards to morality and, and leadership and applying the teachings that Jesus offered, all of these things. And here at the beginning, they ha- they're dealing with division in the church because they, they had these different sects, you know, inside of the church. And so there were groups that followed. We follow Apollos. We're the converts of Apollos. And so they went, they wanted the church to do one thing. And no, we're, we're the converts of, of uh, Paul. And others were of Cephas or Peter. And so they all were going these different directions. And they were kind of arguing over who was better and who was more important because they were a convert of which one or the other or whatever thing. And so that's kind of what they're dealing with. And so he talks about a farming illustration of how people, you know, one plants, one waters, that kind of thing. Uh, but then he turns to this building um, uh, analogy. And he uses it um, to talk about a church and how the church is supposed to be founded on one foundation and the materials are so essential in the church. But I think it's so applicable also for us in our own lives and the way that we live uh, because we are the temple of God. So the way that we build our house that we have to live in is important. And he alludes to a day of judgment when all of a sudden all those materials are going to be tested by fire. But he's not talking about the judgment that we're used to hearing about. The one when all of a sudden it really determines the foundation. Are you found in Jesus Christ? It's not when you all of a sudden have to stand and give account for your sins. Because we know as believers in Jesus Christ, the account of our sins has already been taken care of in the person of Jesus Christ. Every sin has already been paid for. But if you have not received Christ as Lord and Savior, you will have to give account for those sins. And every time you sin, the wrath of God just builds and builds towards you, against you. But this judgment is a second judgment. It's the judgment when all of a sudden, um, it's not our sins are taken into account. 
but it's the motives of our heart. It's the things that we do with that Christian walk in our life. But what I want you to see first in this passage is, of course, we're all builders. We all are building a house, but not only that, we are all building our house. We are responsible for our house. No one else's. We're not constructing for somebody else. Although other people may build upon it, we're responsible for our own house. Verse 13 says, each man's work will become evident. So what we're looking at right now is that we're responsible. We are responsible for the house that we construct, for the life that we build. And I know this is not set well with our culture because we're so used to a culture where we like to uh, shirk responsibility. You know, we like to point fingers. We like to claim to be a victim. It's like, how can you blame me? I mean, look at the life I lived. You know, look at the parents I had. And you blame it on your parents, you know. Or, uh, you know, it's, uh, the, how can you blame me? You see the schools I went to, the teachers I had. And people gl- blame their, uh, their faults and their problems, their issues on, you know, all kinds of things. The government. They blame it on their environment. Uh, you know, you can turn on the television and politicians blame the media for everything. And then the left always blames the right and the right blames the left. It's just the way the thing goes. We love to blame other people. We just love shirking responsibility. I was reading an article about Wendy Wyatt, who's an associate professor at um, St. Thomas University. And it says that she spent the last two years delving into the cherished American pastime of blame. Blaming, she said, has become an impulse. We find it difficult not to blame. And I just want to ask you today, is, was that a good descriptor of you? Because I think it is of so many of us that we just enjoy the idea of blaming, that it's an immediate impulse. When something goes wrong, it's like, not me. Everybody look over here, you know. Shift the, you know, shift the blame. I'm the victim. Look at the person that you can blame for all of this. Well, I just want to make a proposition today here at the very beginning, and it's this. Let's just start taking responsibility for our lives. Let's start taking responsibility for our lives. It's so easy to blame other people, but not only that, but with regards to our Christian life. I know some of you grew up in um, Christian families with a strong Christian heritage, you know, and you took over your parents' leadership position in the church and all that. Let's start taking responsibility for our own Christian walk. You can't ride the coattails of your parents' faith or your grandparents' faith into eternity. That's just not the way it works. So we have to start taking responsibilities for ourselves. And I know that some people kind of look back and they, take re- they, let the, the, um, they let the pastor take responsibility or their Sunday school teacher take responsibility. You know, that's the person who's responsible for making sure I'm growing in my faith. Well, I want to challenge you today to start growing on your own. You know, you're responsible for your house. And so all of that, you're the one who's going to have to give an account for it. So it needs to be you. So I want to challenge you to start growing on your own faith rather than depending on other people leading you to growth. And so your choices or your lack of choices, they're constructing for you a house, and it's the house that you must live in. Now, everyone builds a house, but Caleb told me early on that not every house is equal. There are different houses. And that straw house is not the same as that brick house. Everyone builds a house, but not all houses are equal. And Jesus tells the story of house builders as well. And it's in the Sermon on the Mount. The pastor preached on it just a few weeks ago, but I'm going to read it to you from Matthew 7. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, Jesus says, and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. So we all build a house, but Jesus is saying, but the one who hears the words that I'm teaching and then starts putting them into action, 
That person is like the, the person who's found the rock and they build their house and the storms come, but they've applied what they've learned. But he, uh, he contrasts here with another man, the foolish man, where he says uh, the foolish man is the one who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. And what happened to it? And it fell and great was its fall. So there's this uh, contrast. We have the wise person who hears Jesus' teaching and doesn't just say, well, that's a really good idea, and then goes on living with their life. But they start applying what they hear. On the other end, we have the foolish person. The person, we could just say, it might be people that file into pews, that sit and listen to people speak, and they hear it, and they hear it, and they're like, that's a great idea, and they take a note. Some people tweet it out, you know. They post it as their Facebook status, so people hear it, and other people like it. But they never put it into practice. They never, after they leave these doors, really apply it to their life. They just come every week and I've got the greatest pastor in the world. He says the greatest things, but then they leave these doors and they never put it into practice. You know what that's like? It's finding a sandy place and saying, I'm going to construct my house right here. I think that's what it's like. So we have in this story, you know, there's some similarities here. We have two people. We have a wise person and a foolish person and they both build a house. Well, we all build houses. The second thing that comes in common is that both houses face the storm. That means that the wolf knocks on every little piggy's door. You know, he visits every single one of those little piggy's houses. What we would like, I think, for this um, story to say is that, but the little piggy who built the brick house, he was in a really nice neighborhood that was gated and the wolf couldn't get in there. You know, that's what we would like for it to be. Because we, and we would like for Jesus to say, and the wise man, he built this house on a rock and no storms were in this rocky place, you know. But the other guy put it in Tornado Alley, you know. What did he expect? Both houses face the storm. In fact, Jesus uses the same exact words. For both houses, he says, the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house. He never says the winds came, but they were a lot faster down where that's in that sandy area. It was the same exact storm that both houses face. And I know that's not what we want to hear. I mean, we would much rather Jesus tell us a storm avoidance parable, you know, rather than you're going to face the storm. It's like, but to avoid storms, do this, you know, and he doesn't do that for us. But that's what we would prefer. John Ortberg, I remember reading something he said. He said, we would like for it to be a tale of two climates, you know. Um, he says, um, uh, we would prefer it be two places with different weather. Say, the guys built the house in the Midwest and the Sun Belt. Or maybe in our case, the Midwest and the Midlands of Carolina. And the house in Illinois was buried under snow, flooded by rain, battered by tornado. But that house in California or the house in Carolina mellowed in the surfing sun. You know, that's what we would like. We chose Carolina. We chose much better, right? But that's not how it goes. Every single house gets rocked by the storm. Every life gets challenged by the trials, by the situations in life, you know. It's just in different ways. Some people, the storm comes by way of a diagnosis. Maybe it's um, for themselves or maybe it's for a loved one, uh, you know, and the cancer's there. And that's how the storm starts battering against the doors and the windows of their house. Some people, it comes through tragedy. And I know that the truth is that some of y'all are carrying that today and you brought it in here with you, the storm that you're weathering right now. Some people, it's because of a bad economy and you've lost a job and you're still looking for a job and the winds just keep blowing and they're howling outside and the storm is just shaking everything there is to your house. Um, some people, it's um, somebody abandoned them. Maybe a loved one walked out on you, a spouse or maybe a parent. 
It's totally abandoned. You know, an alienated relationship. And that's the storm of life that you're weathering right now. I think other people, it's, you know, that friend who put the knife in the back is now twisting it. And that's the storm that you're facing. Or maybe it's an email you sent in confidence and now all of a sudden it's being uncovered for everybody to hear about. Here's the deal. We all face storms. They look different, but they're all storms. We all face the storm. Every little piggy faces the storm. But why in the world do we have to face storms? Well, we're not going to get real philosophical here or try to go, I'm not going to go very deep theologically of why storms come and, you know, where we can kind of uh, question God's goodness or anything like that. Um, I just think that when you read from the Sermon on the Mount or you read from this epistle in, uh, to 1 Corinthians, we all know this, all houses face the storm and all storms test houses. That's what they do. Now, we can question why they have to test houses, why we couldn't use something else. It's pretty inconvenient, sometimes dangerous for storms, so why couldn't we have done something else? Maybe a little fill-in-the-blank exam, you know? I don't know why I have to deal with the things of life. But the storms of life, no matter what, whether they should come or shouldn't come, here's the thing, they come. And every time they come, they reveal the soundness of the house. They show how sure that foundation is that you're standing on. They prove it to be whether it's a place you should have built or they show you you shouldn't have built there. But I want to ask you a question today. Have you ever considered that maybe the greatest storm you will face is not a storm in this lifetime? It's not a storm of uh, sickness or of, of uh, relationships with friends or something that, you know, natural causes on life. But maybe it's something later. Um, maybe it's something after the grave. Um, about nine years ago, I uh, came on staff and I was taking some college students on a trip. We went to a passion conference um, called One Day in Texas. And uh, some of the people here were at that trip. But we went and we camped out. It was thousands of college students. Went out on this, uh, you know, the the plains and this ranch area. And we all camped out. We took tents, set up little canopies and all this kind of thing. And we had our little area, our camping plot for those college students that were coming from this church in the Columbia area. And we were there and we were waiting. And um, that night uh, or that evening we were having dinner. And I remember just like Texas is, we saw a storm coming in. And it was right overhead. And all of a sudden we scrambled and we took everything through it in the tents, make sure the rain flaps were on, you know, tied everything down, jumped in, zipped it up. And all of a sudden the worst storm I've ever been in hit right there. And the funny thing was all I had between me and it was just a thin piece of fabric. It was awful. You know, Uh, you could hear the wind blowing. I remember it being so loud that I had somebody in the tent with me and I would have to scream for him to hear me. So, you know, we were just screaming back and forth because the storm was raging. I remember at one point we heard whoop and it was the canopy that was right next to our tent blew overhead. Um, and it was, it was a pretty dangerous storm. We heard that lightning struck around in some of the places where people were camping. And I was like, what in the world? This is the scariest thing. Well, the next day at this conference, um, um, Beth Moore was speaking. And I remember she got up to speak and she said, last night when I was, during that storm, I was in my camper. And I was like, uh-uh, don't tell us about the camper. <laughs> we were in the tent. There was, you know... And she started in, and I was like, no, I almost tuned her out. Couldn't believe she was going to tell us about the camper. Well, anyways, she said, but I started thinking, and she said, you know, often in the Old Testament, when, the God, when God showed up, what preceded him was a storm. And I just wonder if maybe the storm is announcing that God is arriving. And, just, and it was a great spiritual moment for a lot of us that were there on this trip. But whenever the presence of God comes into your life, or when you walk into the presence of God, I know we like to think of it as being like a lion. 
but he roars just, I mean, like a lamb, but he roars just like a lion as well. The very presence of God, when you walk into his presence, will bring a storm into your life to test the structure of your house. I think that's what we're reading about in these passages. Paul says you'll be tested by fire. One day the truth of our houses are going to be revealed. When we walk into God's presence, the storm rages, and all of a sudden it's going to test the foundation and the materials that went into building that house. And you'll be able to look at your house, and it will all be laid bare. Now, we like to keep secrets hidden. I just think it's so crazy how people um, think that they can keep things a secret. You know, they're surprised when all of a sudden people find out about the text message they sent to so-and-so, or the picture they posted so-and-so, or the the comment they made, or the email they sent. But you can read the news every day, and all those stories always come full circle. And people start hearing about the things that were said. They all see the picture. Well, here's the deal. Have you thought that one day, not only will everything you've ever said in confidence be revealed, but all of the motives of your heart? I mean, you could have been doing the best thing, but the motive behind it will all of a sudden be laid bare. And the attitude and the thought that runs through your mind before every deed will be laid bare. And on that day, reality will be known for what it really is. We're really good at putting on masks, you know, and kind of doing our little song and dance thing. But when we walk into the presence of God and that storm or that fire is there, it's going to test everything that we've ever done. Now, you can escape judgment in this, uh, you can escape judgment in this lifetime. You could use inferior materials and you could receive rewards in this life. You know, you could cheat on the exam and never get caught by by it. You could... um, you could cut corners and still win the, the bid for the contract, you know. You could use people and manipulate people and still get elected to high office and get away with it. Nobody ever knew. But that only lasts for a short time. Someday everything will be known. And if that's going to happen, we ought to start living with that in mind. God's examination day will reveal what is already reality when he puts the magnifying glass over your life, the life you've lived. So if that day's coming then what really matters in life? Well, I want to suggest to you there's two things that I think matter in life if that day is coming. The first is this. The foundation matters. The foundation matters if that day is coming when everything will be laid bare. So if your decisions will impact your life, then there is one decision, a single decision that will impact your eternal destination. Only one decision. And it's this. What foundation is your house upon? Luke says, um, when he tells the story of the Sermon on the Mount, he says the wise builder dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. But he quotes Jesus as saying that the foolish builder built a house on the ground without a foundation. The idea is this. If you're building your house on sand, that's no foundation at all. You know, if you're building your house on sand, it's not even a foundation to even be talked about, to be discussed. The only foundation is Jesus. That's what Paul says in verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 3. He says, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the foolish man is the one who places his life, he builds his whole life, his whole house, upon a foundation that will not sustain. It will not stand the test of the storms of life or even the storm of eternity when you face God. You want to ask, why? Why would you do that? And you know, one answer is this. He could have not known that there was another foundation, an alternative. He could have lived in a place where he never heard that there's a rock I could build on. And he could think, I'm building. You know, and he builds a great life, righteous life. But he never builds on Jesus because he never hears his name. That's why it's so important for missions and evangelism to be uh, uh, 
things that the church accomplishes. You know, that we, if we're going to give to something, we should give to missions because we're making sure people who never hear about the foundation of Christ hear about it. And at the same time, that's why evangelism is so important, that you're telling other people that may have never heard. They may be building their house, you know, furiously, but never know that there's a foundation that they could build on that would be more sure. And so some people, though, totally overlook this, you know. They totally overlook this. They hear and they know that there's a foundation. It's in Jesus, but they don't build on it. They build somewhere else. Well, why would they do that? You know, in my house, why is a big question we ask all the time. I don't know about yours, but it's because of the kids, you know, with our three-year-old and our two-year-old and our seven-month-old or eight-month-old, um, you know, questions like, um, why, why would you write with ink pen on the leather sofa? You know, why? Why, why? Or why did you think that we need to decorate the walls with the crayons? You know, that's why. Um, why did you think it was a good idea to feed your baby brother Play-Doh? I don't know why you thought that. Was. Or why did you think that your mommy's computer needed milk poured all over? You know, we ask questions like this. But I don't know if your house is like this, but it's a standard answer. So much so that I'm convinced that they were told before they entered into this planet, if they ask a question of why, answer this when they say, I don't know, you know. That's the standard answer, except for Evan. Evan loves the word because. So he says, because I don't know, you know, is his answer. But I wonder if we could ask this foolish man, why did you build on the sandy place? I think his answer may have been, I don't know. <laughs> I never saw the storm coming. I thought it was a good idea at the time, you know. But I, I think the answer would be, I don't know. Well, here's the good news. Jesus came to offer an alternative foundation, and it's a sure foundation. And the foundation is not found in church attendance. It's not found in baptism. It's not found in, you know, religion, but it's found in a relationship with Christ. Ephesians 2.20 says, Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Jesus must be the cornerstone of your life, the church and our lives. And most may hear this here and say, you know what, then I'm okay because my life is being built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. But let me say there's something else that matters. Materials matter. What are you building your lot on top of that foundation with? That's the question that, I mean, that's the um, thing that the three pigs learned. They learned that materials actually matter. Verse 12 says, Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. So the idea is there's going to be a fire, and the wood, the hay, the straw, it's not going to last. So you have to ask the question, then what is the wood, the hay, and the straw? Well, I'm reminded of Christ's message at the Sermon on the Mount, and I think it's this. I think when you practice your religion before men to be noticed by them, or when you stand and pray in synagogues and on the street corners so that you may be seen by men, or whenever you fast and you neglect your appearance so that you'll be noticed by men, that's you just stuffing this kindling, this wood, and this hay and straw in your house. Or when you store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in, you're just building out of wood. You're framing in with wood. Or when you're worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink for your body as to what you will put on, that's a great little wooden structure you're establishing on top of the foundation of Jesus Christ. Or when you look at the speck in your brother's eye but don't even notice the log coming out of your own eye, that's the wooden house that you're building. And it'll all burn up. But what's the gold and the silver and the precious stones? Well, I think from the same sermon, it's when anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt and you let them have your coat also. I think that's a nice piece of gold you're putting in your house. Or whenever you love your enemies and you forgive those, uh, others for their transgressions and you pray for those who persecute you, 
I think you're establishing with gold, silver, and precious stones. It's whenever you store it for yourself treasures in heaven, those pure motives. So what matters for you as a believer? I think everything does. The foundation is so essential. But what are you building on top? Because you're not going to be tested for salvation when it comes to these decisions you've made. Because only one decision matters there. But you will be tested for rewards, for the crown that someday you'll be able to present at Jesus' feet. John Ortberg writes, well, little piggies, what's it going to be? Straw or brick, rock or sand? Let's pray. Jesus, I just pray for each of us here, God, that you'll just sear on our hearts the importance of this passage of Scripture. That rather than living our lives unintentionally, God, we'll start living with this intentional attitude of what we build our life with, of the decisions that we make. Father, that we'll stop striving for things that really just produce a heap of wood and straw and hay, but we'll start establishing with these godly principles, these precepts of building with gold and silver and precious jewels. We love you, Jesus, and pray these things in your name. Amen.